she wants to rule. You know, she believes that she should get a chance to rule. But what she doesn't know is that her father and Emil are aware of a plot that has been building by the Gortiv, who are the lizard uh, peoples, the indigenous peoples of their planet. And she's aware that she's not aware that that there's possibly there's a rising coming, right? An uprising uh, coming. And so in her father's mind, we get a little glimpse of why he does it, you know, in the book. But for her, it feels like a betrayal, a huge betrayal. And so then she makes the most heinous mistake she could make, right? She runs away. JCB Art Studios Season 4. My name is Joanna. This is my podcast. I've just been talking with our author today. It's sunny outside. It's beautiful, but this is not BC weather. It always rains on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's the other thing. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, for us in Canada. Yeah. Today I have Fern Brady. She's joining me. She is a fantasy author and the founder of Inklings Publishing. She holds multiple master's degrees. She began her professional life as a foreign correspondent. That I'm, I'm interested in that. And I was kind of kicking myself after thinking, damn, I didn't ask her anything about what she did as a foreign correspondent. <laughs> she also taught for 15 years in Elif. I hope I'm saying that right. ISD which is, I believe, Independent School District. And um, yes, yes, good, 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 good. good. Byrne has published numerous short stories, two two children's books, and a couple of poems. Her debut novel, this is her debut novel we're talking about, and it does not come across as a debut novel. United Viden is book one in her Tyrene's Galactic Wall series. Now, this book, United Vidant, was given a glowing review from Doctor Who Online, the official site of the fandom. Um, Also available for purchase is volume one of her graphic novel, Novella Hybrid Project New Beginning, which I also want to talk to her about. She has returned to the leadership of the Houston Writers Guild with whom she served as CEO for four years previously. She co-hosts two podcasts, Author Talk and The Hot Mess Express, which I think is an 
absolutely great name. I love that name. And besides being the municipal liaison for NaNoWriMo Houston, she is also a member of Blood Over Texas, Romance Writers of America, and American Booksellers Association. Fern is coming to us from Houston, Texas, where they've been getting, she had mentioned, you know, it's not lots of rain. It could be, we're going to, you know, I think there's a connection between Texas and Calgary, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that. She, but anyway, she's in Houston, Texas with her parents and her talkative husky. Fern, I've been looking forward to this. How are you? I am doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here with you today. And uh, yes, I'd love to chat with you about, there's so much, my foreign correspondent years, that's that's how I started. That was my very first foray into writing, you know? Um, and so I I started by writing, well, I went to University of Houston. So I wrote for like the Daily Cougar and stuff, you know, this, the on, on-site university papers. And then I met a gentleman who had a daily bulletin that, published in English in Mexico City. And it was focused around, you know, culture and travel. And it was sort of uh, my job basically became what is happening in Houston. So kind of creating a calendar of upcoming events for them and then covering these events um, and letting the people, because there's a lot of people in Mexico, both both foreign uh, people living there you know, from Britain and other English speaking nations, our own, you know, Americans, but also there's a lot of Mexicans who like to purchase uh, newspapers and dailies in English because they like to keep practicing their English. And so um, I worked for them for like many, many years. I don't even remember how many. And, and that's what I did. I got to, I really enjoyed being able to go in to like museums and movies and you know, concerts and things and just kind of put together like what was happening in Houston. And it's such a thriving city culturally that, I mean, there was no scarcity in events that I could cover for them. And, um, and so I did that until, you know, unfortunately, because things were changing in in Mexico and stuff there, you know, economically, they just couldn't continue the paper. And so, you know, and by that time I had also started teaching um, and so I just decided to toggle into teaching full time for a while. And um, and then I re- reignited my passion for writing once I connected with the Houston Writers Guild many years later, you know. Excellent. But, Excellent. Yeah. So you have to tell me, I'm a thriller, uh, a thriller author. What is a space opera? Ah, OK, so a space opera is basically it's kind of uh, a drama. Okay, a human character driven drama that takes place in space. Okay, that takes place in space. So think Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars is very much a space opera because it's all about the relationships, all about the relationships with the Skywalker family and the different people that are their friends and the Jedi's and the Sith and the Empire. And so you have this big drama very political in nature, right? Um, that is revolving around and being being experienced through these characters that are having these relationship uh, elements in them. So that's what a space opera is. Star Trek 
is not as much of a space opera. It's more just a science fiction yeah. uh, piece because that one actually focuses on the science part a lot heavier than the than the human drama part. Okay, then I like space operas. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> I remember when we went and saw it was, God, I think he's a very attractive actor and I can't remember his name now. Um, tall he played Harrison Ford's son in um this I am right you, you, Adam, you know. Driver. Adam yes. Driver yes yes yes, yes. so when He's we gorgeous. yeah <laughs> so when we went and saw it was the first one with him and oh, this is so bad I can't remember I can't remember names or anything anymore with the like the Princess Leia, who was coming up and she was learning from, you know, Mark, I just what said Mark Harmon, Mark Ham- Hamill, right? How to be a Jedi yes. Knight. We went and saw that one. And what I found was I wanted more with that movie. I wanted more their relationship. Adam Driver's mm-hmm. character and her relationship, right? I just thought it was so cool that they could connect even if they were like on different planets. Okay. And I remember when we walked out of the theater, my husband said to me, what do you think? What did you think of it? And I went, it was okay. Because I wanted more of that storyline. So that would be space opera then. Very much so. Very much so. And I think that's where, um, I think that's where really for me, the most important thing comes is in being able to enjoy the human relationships, because if you think about it for us, yeah. right, um, we are experiencing our world. There's there's um, there's issues going on. There's political things going on. There's governmental issues. But we experience it as individuals through our relationships with each other, you know. And so I feel like the space opera gives us a place to really delve into our human condition through the characters, but in a fun setting. It's an it's a non-confrontational setting. It's not anything real life. Yeah. And these are alien beings, right, on another planet. So let's talk about gender issues. Yeah. Let's talk about racism and prejudice. Yeah. Um, let's talk about these issues, you know, and explore what they look like, yeah. right? And how we feel about them in a in a very you know kind of safe space if you will okay yeah so okay so let's do this with your book united biden i gosh this is your debut novel (laughs) it you write as if you have novels under your belt okay like i had to remind myself that this is your debut novel like your writing is so smooth So I'm just going to share a few sentences. Um, It was the review by Nathan Jones for Doctor Who Online. And he says, more than anything else, United Viden is a wonderful combination of royal court drama, reminiscent of Elizabethan times and adventure, the changing allegiances of the aristocracy Oh my God, aristocracy, as the story (laughs) progresses, are captivating and led by the intriguing twists and turns of the masterful plot. 
Now, like I said, I don't write fantasy fern, but as I was reading, I am cheering for Princess Verena. And this book is sophisticated. And can you tell our readers a little bit about United Biden? Um, sure. I'm glad you loved it. I'm glad you liked it. Um, it it has been a long time in the making. Okay. This this book. Um, it started, you know, really um, in my classroom when I was teaching, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about that in in, in a minute. But um, it's basically so Thyrene's Galactic Wall. Um, it's 51 planets. It's an alliance of 51 planets to play with, right? And um, the focal point is Jorn, planet Jorn, which is Princess Vernus. And um, they're, they're, her ancestor was Thyrene. He's the one who formed the alliance. And so she has a very important history. She comes from a strong line, but she's going to be the first female ruler for her kingdom. Yeah. I mean, we've never had a female heir before and you know she is very encouraged because her father never sought out when her mother died you know her father never sought out another another bride to bring in a male heir he was perfectly happy and she believed that she was in in his eyes worthy of of it and then when when the book begins you know we find out that he actually has always wanted her to marry prince Amiel. And Prince Amiel is the only other country in in this in on their planet, right? Other than the Gortiv and the you know uh, non-human species. And so she, you know, she has a, a a friendship with Amiel. They grew up together. They they've always had a relationship, but she doesn't want to marry him because a he's you know she's seen a little darker side of him, yeah. and b she wants to rule. You know she believes that she should get a chance to rule, but what she doesn't know is that her father and Emil are aware of a plot that has been building by the Gortiv, who are the lizard uh, peoples, the indigenous peoples of their planet, and she's aware that she's not aware that that there's possibly there's a rising coming, right, an uprising uh, coming, and so. In her father's mind, we get a little glimpse of why he does it, you know, in the book. But for her, it feels like a betrayal, a huge yeah. betrayal. Yeah. And so then she makes the most heinous mistake she could make, right? She runs away. Yeah. But I understand. I would have you know yeah yeah and 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 so the the book, the rest of the book, when she tries to come back, yeah. right, from that to try to really reinstate herself and the rest of the book is really about how do you overcome having made the horrible mistake the most if you if you make the most horrible mistake in your life that you could possibly make how do you come back from that yeah. and so in a yeah. way it's a it's an arc of redemption for her yeah. of having to you know because before she didn't have to prove herself everyone believed in her because of who she was her birthright yeah. but now she threw that away now she got to prove yeah. She has to prove yeah. it. And so it becomes, you know, it, it becomes a question of like, sometimes do we throw away uh, some things that we don't realize are important? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. so so that's kind of the story a little bit. Well, when I was when I was reading 
I, yeah, I just, I understood, I understood her anger. I, I just so understood her anger. Um, people haven't been upfront with her. Can you explain to the listeners, you've, you've, kind, you've, you've mentioned, you know, how this book started. Explain to the listeners what Verena means when she says, I would be a woman who encompassed a man. Ah, yes. So that is a prophecy that was given to her mother about her. And it it actually comes from our uh, Christian Bible, the Christian okay. Bible. That statement is actually in there. Okay. And it's funny because um, it was a statement that my father um, shared with me. And he shared it with me again recently that he felt God had given him about me. Right. Okay. And, and it was an interesting moment because you know, um, he was, the way he interpreted it was that God was telling him that I would be able to do all the things that a man would do, right? Have the success that a man would have being a woman, a woman that encompasses a man, right? He saw it as being, being that God was going to give me the ability to be as successful in whatever field as any man would, or what, you know, that's how he interpreted it. And so, for me, when I put it into this book yeah. for Verena, that's kind of what I'm envisioning, right? That she will become a woman that can basically be like any ruler, right? Any male ruler we can think of. If you think of the, the best male ruler ever, you know, she will be able to encompass all the traits of a great leader, yeah. you know, but being a fully a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Being without losing, because sometimes we have this idea that if you're a strong woman, you're a leader, uh, a woman in leadership, that somehow you have to be real tough or that uh, you got to have some masculine traits or whatever. And the reality is that we can be just as feminine and we can be very woman, right? But it doesn't negate that we can be as successful and encompass all the elements that we would traditionally think, oh, it's male and elements, right? Male leadership elements. We can do it as a woman, yeah. you know? Yeah. So kind of, that's kind of the image that I'd like to give and, and the thought that we're trying to build with Verena's character. Cool. Okay. Okay. Now, Canada, it's a Commonwealth country. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up with the picture of Queen Elizabeth in my classrooms. Okay. Um, I'm not a loyalist. Uh, there is some places in Victoria where um, I think it's on, it was on the queen's birthday before she passed, you know, there'd be pictures of the queen. So some areas of Victoria was like that. I did watch the queen's funeral. Um, and the thing was, I've explained to people why her death and her passing got to me was because as a small child, small girl, seeing a queen, okay, in my classroom, mm-hmm. her picture, singing "God Save the Queen," was like, it, you know, I even though I didn't recognize, like, like that was empowering, okay. And um, she had such a calm about her, and. Um, you know, just some, I think there was, uh, there's a, a speech of hers with the pandemic where she says, you know, we are going to be going through hard times, 
but we will make it through the end. And when you hear when you hear her say that, it's like, okay, yeah, okay, We're, we can, we'll, we'll be fine, right? We'll make it through. So I was wondering, what made you want to put royalty in this space opera? Like, because I was, I was curious. Like, I could, I was just curious. Yeah. And that's a really good question because, you know, sometimes when, when people focus on the, the fact that, Hey, they have, um, they have spaceships burn and they have all this technology. Why would they even want this kind of government? And it's an interesting question because that question is sort of based on this belief that a particular kind of government is the correct one, right? That somehow um, democracy, right, or a de- democratic republics are the correct ones that we should all be moving toward. Yeah. And so, in a way, I want to challenge that thought. Okay. For me, you know, what if what if we hadn't moved towards that? What if what if the French Revolution, for example, what if Prince, uh, what if King Louis had been had been more responsive? Yeah, had acknowledged what was actually happening in his country and had, and had made, you know, uh, better decisions as a king to, to deal with that. What if the king, I don't remember who was the one that, was it the 14th? No, I don't remember which one it was that built oh, Versailles. What if I, he hadn't done that? Yeah. yeah. Right. What if I he can't hadn't remember. Done that? What my, if, yeah. <laughs> I can't, but to me, the building of Versailles signaled the end of the, the French monarchy because they moved away from Paris they were no longer in contact with the people. They lost sight of the reality of their nation. And so they were no longer, they they didn't really understand why the people were angry because they could, they never saw it. They lived in this beautiful bubble. Yeah. And if you've ever been to Versailles, you understand how beautiful that bubble was, okay. right? And so it was hard for them to see the reality. But what if, what if instead of, you know, moving away from the people and creating this bubble um, what if the, the monarchs had been responsive? Okay. What if they had been as Queen Elizabeth, for example, who's who, you know, it, her mon- her the British monarchy has survived because it has been responsive. It has yeah. understood the people and what the people needed, yeah. right? And has become what the people needed. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I feel like as long as a government is responsive to its people, yeah. There is no necessarily best government method. Okay, it's really about what works for the people and and the governed. Right? We we the our the American Constitution is all about like the will of the governed. Right? It's a social contract. Right? And so I'm trying to play in and and this government style of of monarchy is on Jorn, you know, yeah. um, but the intergalactic alliance. Main council, for example, is very much more of a parliamentarian style uh, ruling body, right? Yeah. Um, and on other yeah. planets, as the different books are going to be coming out, you will see other government styles as well. And we see the clakes, they're more like, you know, thinking of like the sheiks in the in the desert, you know, kind of ruling things. So so we have, I'm playing with multiple government styles, but my my theory is there is no one government style that is best. It really is dependent on the people, okay. you know? And so I feel like what, what works for the people and having a, a government that is responsive. So that's why I'm kind of playing with these. Plus I'm a big fan of Dune. I mean, yeah. 
mean, I'm a big fan of Duke. And he definitely has a lot of the Dukes and the Emperor and stuff in there. So I kind of, you know, drew a little bit of that. And but I yeah, I to me it's just about like let's let's for let's try to get away from this idea that everybody should be this right yeah. let's go towards let's let everybody be the government that they need for those people but that the government is responsive yeah to the needs of the governed right yeah. to me that's that's really the key thing okay cool that's i'm glad i asked that question <laughs> that was a neat discussion okay cool well talking about verena our crownless queen um i that I oh I loved reading that crownless queen. Can you tell us a bit about her? And is she based on anyone you know, or is she a little of you or a lot of you? Like what makes what makes up Verena? Yeah, you know, it's interesting as a writer. Um, as a writer, I think that every character has pieces of you in them. Yeah, you know. Um, cause as a writer, these characters are a great place for you to explore your good sides and your not so good sides, right? Because Emil has a little bit of me too, and we know how he is, right? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's interesting to play with them, but they're also primarily composites. I don't think there's any one character in the book that is fully just me. Like you like, oh, that's just Fern, yeah. right? Um, they're composites, you know, like, for example, you talked about Queen Elizabeth, right? Yeah. Um, I drew a lot on her, you know, for Verena, like, you know, and I and I drew a lot on Catherine the Great, for example, for Verena, you know, because she is an intriguing female ruler of our history. And the things that she tried to do for Russia, which you succeeded in doing for Russia, um, it's it was a really great thing to see someone progressive. Taking the yeah. roles of monarchy that was really backwards at that moment, right? Yeah. Russia was seriously behind the times, you know? And so, and and it was interesting to see how far she could get and what she couldn't do, you know, because the big discussion with Catherine the Great is, you know, the serfs. Yeah. She really yeah. wanted to get rid of the serf situation. And yet, no matter what, she could not pull Russia forward that far, right? She pulled them forward as far as she could. And so, so when, when I look at Verena, I'm, I'm thinking of, okay, how, how far can she take Jorn? You know, what are some of the pieces of her nation that are so ingrained that it's going to be real hard. And in book two, it's going to be very interesting because book two is all about the battle between the Gortiv and her people and her desire to really be fair to them, to, to acknowledge what, what they did, you know, when they colonized the planet and they put the 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 indigenous people, the lizard people on a different continent, separated from them, the one that's less wealthy, right? The yeah. continent that doesn't have as much good stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like thinking of, you know, how did America deal with indigenous people, yeah. right? How yeah. do we deal with them now? How do we do make restitution, for example? Yeah. You know, these are issues we discuss all the time. So in book two, she's going to be dealing with that. So how far can she take her people, yeah. you know, yeah. um, down the road of, of really respect and understanding and, and, and things for non-human species, which is just a way for us to dialogue about what we do on our planet. Right. Yeah. But, um, 
Like, so I think that those are the primary uh, draws for her. Is you know, Queen Elizabeth was one, and and Catherine the Great was the was the other that really kind of influenced Verena. I just think of the social issues you're tackling. That is really really cool. Like you, like you said, you 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 talk about these social issues in a safe place with these characters. That is really really cool yeah i'm cool okay because we're not we're not we're not discussing um you know people in our planet these are lizard people okay these are lizard people they're living on another planet right um amiel's um amiel's struggle to to be fair to to non-human species comes from his experience with the sehi and what they did to his parents right uh he has he has very deep seated anger uh he's kind of modeled a little bit after batman yeah um <laughs> you know in that in that regard right yeah. so you know how does he overcome this right yeah. how do you overcome these things you know when you've had these experiences how do you acknowledge that you know what it's not every person who is a sehi who is that militant or extremist right yeah. there are good people among you know so how do we deal with that how do we how do we manage our anger you know yeah. that is in, in many ways justified in his case right because they killed his parents yeah so do you feel you kind of answered my question but do you feel that the fan so i'm going to kind of retweak it a bit do you feel the fantasy genre is the best genre to tackle these issues to open up people's um, minds or get the conversation have so people actually think about and have the conversation yes i think it is okay i think it's i and i think you know we in the in the world of 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 writing yeah there's this there's this belief that um literary fiction yeah is somehow superior yeah to commercial fiction because oh you're you're doing these lofty artistic things and dealing with lofty artistic thoughts and lofty issues but when you look at science fiction and fantasy if you look at lord of the rings right you look at dune you look at star wars and star trek you're looking at the human experience and an exploration of it very huge important issues and they're engaged we're engaging in them in a fun way in a way that doesn't feel like you're preaching to anybody yeah and in a way that everybody can really understand because yeah. literary fiction as beautiful as it is sometimes you you have to like read it multiple times to figure out what yeah. what is going on right yeah. so i feel like this is this is a way to say hey it's kind of like shakespeare yeah. right because i mean what shakespeare was doing was bringing the history and the the cultural understandings to the people right in in his place right to to make it understandable for everybody so everybody could get that information and so in a way you know you have these lofty writing pieces that often get a lot of really fancy awards but bringing it to a place where we can all understand this struggle yes we can all understand batman's struggle yeah we all understand you know the struggle with uh with the issues of gender yeah. and being a, a a ruler you know 
why why has the United States not been able to to uh you know vote for a female president? Yeah. 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 Why? Yeah. That, that's you know that uh, bravo for you bringing that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I mean that's the yeah. conversation. That's really I mean you know, for me, and I don't know how you feel or, and I don't want to get too political, but yeah. in reality, when you're looking at a lot of our political situations and why certain people got to win where other people did not and such, you see a lot of these issues yeah. of race and gender yeah. playing out, you know, and, and it goes beyond what makes sense, yeah. right? Because it's an emotional pull. And so it's it's an important place to explore that. And it's yeah. a safe place because, you know, Verena is a, a queen on another planet. We, well, we don't have to worry about how how we feel about yeah. our own world. Right? Well, I hope that with our next Canadian election or the, the next two elections, the, uh, we've just had one a couple of years back. I do hope we have a deputy prime minister who's female and she when I see her you know I was thinking about her when you were talking about a woman doesn't necessarily have to be a man to be strong to lead and our Mm -hmm. deputy prime minister I would back her you know and it's just she she is strong and yeah I I yeah I I would I, I would just it's because of what she represents and her ideals that I I would I would I would represent I would support her. Yeah, I don't want to go too far down that political road, but but the thing that would get me is just like I look at Europe and like now how many times has the UK had a female prime minister? Okay. Or yes, Germany, yeah. right? Had a female leader. Mm-hmm. For, and and then now right. New Zealand, Jacinda Arden. Like, I mean, like, come on. Like, I'm even thinking my own country. Come on, Canada. <laughs> like, get with the program. All right. Yep. So, anyways, okay. Yeah. And, and, and if you think about going back to, to Catherine the Great. Yeah. Okay. Now, Russia in that time, okay, was super, super like, if, if anybody was going to reject the idea that Catherine the Great could, could rise to power, it would have been the Russians, yeah. right? I mean, we would have thought, wow, how'd she do it? And yet she managed it. And she managed it very much being a woman. You know, she didn't become a man. She didn't become like all tough, right? She was still very much a woman. You look at Elizabeth the first, right? A lot of the dialogues about Elizabeth the first were, were about the fact that she was a woman. How could she be queen and be a woman, right? This was the conversation and she did, she managed it really, really well without being tough and and manly, right? She was still very feminine. And so I feel like this is a discussion that, that is really worth having. And I, and with Verena, it's sort of like, okay, let's see it play out in a fantasy world. Yeah. Let's see how, how does she manage it? How does she manage to regain the trust of her people? How does she manage to reassert herself as an authority figure to have them trust her authority? And at the same time, she's managing a husband. Because, I mean, (laughs) she ends up with Emil, right? She ends up with Emil. And this is a husband who who wants her desperately, right? Because he's 
true, well and truly in love with her, right? Yeah. We know that. She doesn't fully know that. But, you know, he really does love her. And yet he wants to control her and he wants to squash her because she ran away from him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She jilted yeah. him. So uh, it's a lot to deal with for a woman. I just love that managing a husband. Oh, God, that needs to be written somewhere. <laughs> I, I really think that the bulk of our lives as women is basically managing men. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we just, we manage all the male relationships in our life. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So I have to say again, I, I had uh, Jalen Ells on the podcast and uh, she's through your publishing company, right? It's like her book. Yeah. And I gotta yeah. say, fantasy authors have the coolest maps in the beginning of their books. Just so cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, again, I'm looking, I'm like, damn, this looks good, right? Like, I'm looking at the maps. So how did the maps come about? Like, did you draw them? Like, how did the maps come about in the beginning of your book? So the maps um, that are in the book yeah. are based on the maps that I drew, right? Um, for when I was writing, because, you know, you're creating a world. Yeah. And so you you have to create the maps that go with that world so that you as a writer can keep things straight, right? Yeah. Um, I yeah. even have, to be honest, I even have a little layout of the castle because at one point I realized I was saying that she went right towards the library yeah. tower, but the last time she had gone left. And so I was like, <laughs> where in the world is this library tower? This is not a magical library. It's not moving all over. So, you know, I had to, I had to place it firmly somewhere. Right. Yeah. So I drew out, <laughs> I drew out the, the, the layout of the, of the castle. So I could figure out, okay, where's this wing and where's the, where's that inner courtyard? Was it, you know, so I could keep it straight. Yeah. Now we don't, I don't have a floor plan of that in the book and I don't know if it's really needed in the book, but the, the map of the continent is, and really Sir Andros, right? Uh, the knight that she convinces to help her find uh, Horsef and the crystal dagger, you know, he came to, to the storyline because Verena is stuck in the castle. And, and so you as a reader, you don't get to see the rest of the world if we only stay with her. Um, we needed a quest, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where that's kind of where the the liquids of Shranglaru came came about, right? That's that she finds them. She doesn't know what what they're about. She doesn't know what they do because her mother died before her mother could explain them to her. But yeah. she real she soon begins to gather information, and so she convinces this knight to go on this quest. And so that gives me a chance to have you explore the world you know and and see other parts of it and so i created my own little map now my map is really a pathetic looking map okay but if you had seen if you saw my handwritten map you would be like oh my god what what, what? <laughs> okay but i got araceli casas okay araceli casas is our map our map goddess okay at inklings um, she has done, she did Jay Lynn's maps as well. Yeah. And she's, she's doing all of my maps and she takes our crazy, like, 
you know, scribbled, you know, stuff. And she makes sense out of it. Okay. She makes sense out of it. And her, her maps are just beautiful. I, I love, I love the map she made of, of Jorn. And right now we're, we, she, she has done a map of planet Gilderont for me already. And so I've got, I've commissioned with her a couple of other maps because with the war, I feel like we're probably going to need some kind of war maps, Yeah, you know, yeah. to help people figure out where different things are positioned. And then also uh, the at the end of United Biden, they they go off on a quest, yeah. uh, the Rajin go off on a quest. And so we're going to have to have a little bit of a map for where they end up and kind of what's on that world, which is going to be a really important world book three so we'll see cool. but yeah I love maps yeah it, it, it just it takes you somewhere you know when you oh when I oh like I have the the pdf and I'm you know printing and when you see it it's like oh you know and all of a sudden you know you're you're following you know the around the the on the map okay now when the king signs the betrothal documents mm-hmm and hands his daughter, Verena, over to Prince Emil. I was thinking Verena is going to be so ticked off. And then matters get worse for Verena. With the announcement of the betrothal, the king blindsides her. And I was wondering, how did you Mm -hmm. feel about, how did you feel after writing that scene? Because I, I just thought, you know, you just, boom, you just see it starting to, to happen, right? You, you know, you, you there's the scene where you see them planning the wedding and it's just like getting worse and worse and worse. And then, you know, they have the, the celebration and then she's announced, it's announced. And I just thought, ah, oh, like I thought I would be so ticked off. Right. She just is her dad has just basically handed it over her over. How did you feel after writing that? Because it it was really good. <laughs> yes, I felt I felt um Verena's pain. Um, you know, her pain was was intense and the sense of betrayal, you yeah. know, because and more than betrayal, the shattering of who she thought she was. You know, um, in her mind, she had always been secure in in who she is. She is the heir to the throne. And so she believes that she is, you know, capable of of anything and that her father believes her capable of anything. And all of a sudden she discovers, you know what? Looking back on it, she begins to really think about all her life, yeah. Emil has been there and she has never thought too much about it because obviously, well, he's there. He's, you know, the, the, the son of the other power couple in on the planet and blah, but, but for the first time she begins to explore her father's relationship to him. Yeah. yeah. And she begins to see things she hadn't seen before. Yeah. And she begins to realize that maybe her father's sense of security in her ability to be queen wasn't so much in her yeah but in his his thorough uh understanding that she would end up with Emil that that was that was the future and I think that for her 
it was a really devastating thing. So I felt very devastated. But I also thought about the father's perspective because he really does believe in her. He really does. You know, um, he is t- he does try, even though she doesn't know this, but he does try to forge the agreement without the marriage proposal. Yeah. But Emil's the one that's like. Yeah. Yeah. And you do show the father saying, I I, I think I, re- I remember, it where I don't know the exact words, but when the father is signing the agreement or he's about to, the father's even thinking she's going to feel that I, she's going to think I betrayed her. You know, like it, 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 that was good mm-hmm. to see in the father's point of view. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But she doesn't get it. She doesn't know that. Right. So yeah. in her, so for him, and unfortunately, you know, and again, we're playing off of the the expectations of the roles, right? Yeah. He is the king. Yeah. His expectation is she will do as she's told. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, his expectation is that he will be able to talk to her and explain things better and she will understand it better eventually. But he's not worried yeah. that she won't follow through. Yeah. Right. Because. Yeah. He's the king. And as far as their relationship has gone so far and for, you know, the way their their relationship is structured, he understands that she understands her duty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he never sees that she would run away as an option. Right. That's not in his mindset at all because she's a royal princess. She will do her duty. And later I'll have time to explore why this was needed. I'll make her understand. I'll make it up to her. This is her, his mindset yeah. because he's king. Yeah. And the thought that anyone would go against what he has decreed is simply not viable. But then, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And now he's dealing yeah. with the aftermath of that. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. And he's trying to convince Emil, no, Emil, there is no betrayal here of you. Believe me, I didn't know she was going to do this either. Yeah, and yeah. right there, but but Emil takes it very personal, right? Yeah. He thinks because because the father had tried to forge the agreement without her that he's hiding her, yeah, right, yeah. And so yeah. and if, and there's re- political players filling him with that. So you really have you know, these relationship issues and, and going up against their expectations, their role expectations. And when we look at history, sometimes we look at what people have had to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we think, oh, why did she do that? Why did she allow that? Or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, was it really an option for them? Yeah. It's easy for yeah. us to think of options, right? She yeah. could have just run away yeah. or whatever, but that's a very modern thought. Yeah. Would would it really be something that would be considered an actual option for for someone in that position in that time period? That's you it. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, I saw that or that you belong to the Romance Writers of America and I once belonged to them as well. And I'm just going to name drop here. I actually met Diana Gabaldon. Okay. This, this was ages ago. Um, it, we had a Romance Writers of America. I think it was Vancouver Island chapter. Again, I think about 20 years ago. Okay. And uh, 
she had just re she had released Outlander and I think the first three in that series. Okay, now I love writing action scenes. Okay, you have great action scenes in your novel. That coming of age battle, it's your the reader is in it. So I I know for myself, I'll admit later what I I prefer. Do you prefer? to write a romantic scene or a fight scene, a fight slash action scene? Ah, uh, okay. So the easiest, the easier one for me to write is the romance scene. Okay. Because um, for me, I, I love romance stories. And so the, the naturalness and, and I love the beauty of, of making love. I mean, making love is just beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful, delicious part of life. Yeah. I I really am on a campaign to do away with the whole word clean romance. Okay. okay. I, I I really want us to do away with the whole clean word. I want us to replace it with sweet. Okay. It's a sweet romance. Yeah. Because there's nothing dirty about sex. Yeah. And, you know, I have a real issue with the connotation that this is clean, but the other stuff is dirty. No, it's yeah. not. It's sex. It's beautiful. Yeah. Sex is beautiful. It's part of nature, part of God's gift to us. And so for me, like building in that tension between them, bringing that to fruition, the, the first one that we see is the wedding night. How do you go into a, a intimate moment with a man that, is this, you know, that you're being forced to marry, right? Wow. That you, how do you overcome, you know, whatever reticence you have to be able to do that? And so that was a really interesting one to play with. And, and for her, she was fortunate because he really loves her. Yeah. And so he didn't just go in and be an asshole, right? Yeah. Yeah. He really... You know, he really went in there to to love her, right? Um, but but you know, I, I imagine like in how many women have had to face that yeah. in our in historically in our world. You know, yeah. how many women have had to marry and and be intimate mm -hmm. without any real desire to be? You know, and how many of them have had any a, a positive experience? I always think, you know, if I always think that people who don't like sex are usually probably not had a really good one. You know, okay. they, they haven't really had a good love connection with someone because when you have, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's such a beautiful expression of, of ultimate love, you know, yeah. um, fight scenes are so much harder because you have to really think through the action sequence. Yeah. What damage you're doing to the other enemy, what damage is your character uh, receiving so I think that my my uh, enjoyment of like D D right mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons stuff and role-playing games and stuff like that has helped because I have to be thinking damage you know in those games but um, it's a little harder to do but interestingly that first opening scene with the coming of age yeah um, that one uh, was brought in kind of towards the end of the process when the book was almost pretty done because originally I started the book with her birthday party. Okay. But everybody who read it was super surprised when suddenly there was technology. 
because the birthday party feels so fantasy with the poofy gowns and the queens and stuff that everybody felt like it was medieval times. Nobody, nobody got the impression that it was, even though we talk about the droids, you know, serving and stuff, somehow that didn't register. Right. And so, so it was really like shocking all of a sudden, what, what? She's going on a spaceship? How? (laughs) Right. So, So I started it with her coming of age battle because I, it introduces still the royalty element, but it also introduces the technology element of her world because she's fighting. She's not fighting a real Venladon because she would be dead, right? Nobody has fought those things and lived. Yeah. Um, she's, she's fighting a virtual holographic representation of one. Yeah. You know, and so there's points to be and blah, blah, blah. So that gives me an opportunity to right away introduce, this is a high tech world yeah. with a, you know, very fantasy medieval kind of government structure. But even as you go through, you start to see the, her relationship with the council of Pierce, her relationship with council of vassals. And so you begin to see some of the more modernistic notions of government, you know, a more constitutional style government in play, but with her, the, the seat of power still being the king, right. Kind of a little more, a little more Spain than, than England, you know, where the king still technically has more power. Right. Although the, the last two have sort of not been as engaged, right. They've allowed the government to be more, more British style. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so in answer to which one you like best for me, it would mm-hmm. be a fight scene, chase scene. I'm, 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 I've been doing rewrites on a chase scene. Now, I would prefer doing that. How do I say over a sex scene? But I like writing intimacy. Okay, that's what I like. Mm-hmm. Like I like writing before, and I like writing after. Okay. Like I like that intimacy. That's, that's my comfort level. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, like I say, your action scenes, your fight scenes are really good. And it's, it's neat to see. Uh, I don't want to say another female liking writing like that writing action, but it's neat to see. It's neat to see, you know? So anyways, yeah. Okay. And, you know, one of the cool things about Diana and the Outlander series is that it it pushed the romance genre to a, a slightly different um, structure because, you know, having been in the romance writers, you know, yeah. romance ha- is uh, has to have a happy for now or happy ever after ending. Yeah. And her books don't do that. No. Right. Her books um, and usually series, romance series usually are like, okay, book one is couple number one and they have their happy ending. And then book two, we bring another couple from book one that was minor. And now they're the primary and they have their happy ending. And then, you know, that's how we do series in romance traditionally. And so her for for her to have taken these two characters and explore that, you know what? It doesn't always close in book one, right? Oh, oh. Right. Cinderella got married, but you know what? Afterwards, there was a marriage yeah. to go through, right? Yeah. And so 
So she kind of is exploring that this romance, this love is is evolving and they're evolving and it's you know as they go through things it's a it was a very first time kind of thing for for romance writing and I think it opened a door to having that opportunity of looking at you know not just a standalone not just a single book happy ever after you know sometimes your romance ends poorly yeah and then and then you reconnect yeah. You know, it's not it's not always so easy or simple. And uh, we actually started a series. We have an author, Andrea Bailey, yeah. um, who has the Olympian love series, which kind of follows that pattern. Like you you see Nico and Sabrina across multiple books and until they finally, you know, yes, they come to a, a happy conclusion. But, you know, they is not is not right away, which yeah. I think that that was Outlander opened that door. See to romance pursuing that. See, and that's what I'm doing with my thriller series. My heroine, there's Jade and there's Adam and they're you know romantic partners, but they have some ups and downs. Like they have some arguments um because of the type of occupations they're involved in. That I also find fun to do, you know, like they, you know, it was fun to, um, I got a bit of a, I'm doing a bit of a spoiler here. It was nice to see them. I don't want to say nice, but it was enjoyable to write this argument they have. And then they're split apart. And then it was also enjoyable to write them have coming to coming to an understanding. That was fun. That was so Cool. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you, Diana, for doing that, for opening the doors for authors to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, because, and I don't know, uh, as far as the romance writing organization, you know, Writers of America, whether or not they are as open yet to that, you know, um, I think they're still very much wanting to keep the structure, but um, I think that that's the future for, for, or the romance genre and it's a great future because you can explore so much more yeah you know so yeah all right fun question what would you choose to watch and i have to throw in the, the third movie i thought of this movie because i saw it advertised on my streaming service i think you know which one i'm going to say you have a choice friday night the popcorn's ready whatever beverage you want to drink is ready you have a choice of star wars Lord of the Rings, Dune. Which one would you choose? Oh, Dune. <laughs> Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. I, I am particular. you know, I was so thrilled. Yeah. I was so thrilled when they were remaking it. Yeah. And I yeah. was really worried about how it would come out because to be honest, like the previous remake, the, the previous versions were just horrible. I mean, they were just horrible. I was just like, oh my God, you know, why? The only positive was Sting and that was just for eye candy purposes. Yeah. But um, yeah. but the the way they're doing it right now is is fantastic. I mean, they're really honoring the story. Oh, good. They're honoring the characters yeah. and they're honoring the world. Yeah. And being able to see that is just awesome. I I I'm really thrilled to to see it now yeah. coming coming from and I think it's because and I don't know, I don't know if necessarily the person who, who directed it previously was maybe not as much of a fan or what, but I think Lord of the Rings, 
um, set up an expectation of honoring the book and honoring the fans. Yeah. You know, Um, because since those, I mean, those books are, would be really challenging for any director to write, to, to create. I mean, you know, challenging. Yeah. So I think the fact that they were really successful and they were successful in the changes they made to the story, the things they left out, the tweaks they made, made sense. And so you could have and love the original books and you can, and you can really love and appreciate the, the movies as their own artistic masterpiece. Yeah. Drawing from this one, but in its own uniqueness of the things they tweaked and then the Hobbit added to that, right? Because it's very different. They're different from the book, but they're not so different. They didn't go so crazy yeah. that you yeah. you can't, as a fan, you feel betrayed, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah. I feel like that's that's what Dune is doing. So I love this new Dune. Yeah. I love this new Dune. And I mean, Jason Momoa is in it. I mean, so eye candy, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well we it's we want to watch it and every time I want to watch it my husband's like no wait I don't want to fall asleep on it because I'm super tired and I'm just like I'm I'm getting impatient I want to watch this you know (laughs) because I remember the trailers and there were just such scenes in it you know so okay now just I'm going to wrap it up it wrap I've kept you for like over over our time here but i i want to ask you about inklings publishing can you tell us a bit about sure. that and like are you open for submissions and and what do you publish so inklings publishing is a traditional press um so we do follow the traditional methodology we don't do this whole like new hybrid uh thing where the authors pay for services and stuff. We don't do that. Yeah. Um, we don't believe in that. We, we're a publisher is an investor. Mm-hmm. And I, I am always convinced that if you are paying someone to publish your book, it's probably not going to be good. You know, it's probably not going to be a good thing. It's vanity style. But um, so we, we do have um, the projects that we fund. So we are funding all our books. Yeah. So right now, now we opened for submissions in 2021. 20, uh, we got over 300 manuscripts that got, got submitted. Yeah. And so we've been going through them and it, it was a lot more than we expected. It was, it was significantly more than we expected. So it's taken us a while. And so we are probably not going to open for submissions until um, probably late 2023 again, yeah. because we actually, we have narrowed it down from over 300 to eight. Okay. Oh, wow. We are down to the last eight yeah. and, uh, we are actually in the process, um, this, these next couple of months of interviewing the authors, because, okay. um, that's something that okay. we've added to the, to the process. Not, you know, we've read the manuscripts, we've, We've looked at their, you know, we had them submit kind of what they saw as a marketing plan, yeah. how, what they were yeah. thinking of doing with it. And now we're actually going to um, interview them because we are a small press. So you yeah. will be working with yeah. us very closely. You'll be working with all of our personnel. And so we want to make sure that, you know, that there are, you know, or at least minimize the likelihood of personality conflicts arising, yeah. making sure that everybody feels comfortable with everybody and 
would you be able to work intimately? It's an intimate job. Yeah. Working with your book. You know, you have to trust that our editors have the best, you know, um, for your book, you know, best interest and, and that they know what they're doing. And so we need to make sure that you're comfortable with us guiding you through this process. So, so we will probably be issuing contracts in January to the ones that we decide on. Um, And we probably won't open again until, until 2024, because um, yeah, that was, that was really interesting. It was very interesting, but it was a great sign. I mean, it was a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. Because uh, it's it it says that our company has established a good name, yeah. a name that people are interested in having publish us, publish yeah. them, you know. So so that because that's was my goal when I when I started Inklings Publishing, I did it because we didn't really have I didn't really have a book ready for me. You know, yeah. I was working on my books, but I didn't have a book to publish, you know, to say I'll just publish myself. And I can do this, you know, I I have the know-how of running a company and of being an editor. And, and so I thought, you know, I'm going to create a company uh, from the point of view of the author. Yeah. What kind of company would I want to have published me? Yeah. And that's the company I'm going to create, you know? And so I think, I think, you know, because like our, our covers, um, you know, you don't just get get told like many many publishers just send the the author the cover this is your cover that's it congratulations right yeah it's it's a very it's a very collaborative effort at our at our company you are connected with your cover designer you discuss what your vision of it is you know we we often go through uh sample covers that you like and what do you like about it and you know um until we come to a place where our cover designer is like okay i know what we need right for it and and then we it's collaborative you know there's some things that you know sometimes the author is like oh I really don't like that part but then we're like well that part's actually really important because blah right and so but we make it so that you are happy with your cover you know we don't want you to be unhappy with your cover yeah and my cover I love my cover my cover is a great cover Yeah. yeah yeah can I sneak one more question in Last one? Sure. Okay. Okay. Yes. Your graphic novel, New Beginning. I have been interested in writing a graphic novel. Like I do motorcycle illustrations. And I just, how did you go about writing the graphic novel? I was wondering, well, A, there's the word count. But what was the biggest difference between writing a graphic novel to writing United Biden? Um, I think that the graphic novel sort of happened by accident okay. almost. Um, I have been working with Max Regan. He's my personal writing coach, and um he does these um retreats and boot camps and classes for authors. And the boot camp is the first ten days of certain months you send him a thousand words every day and he sends you material and, you know, and stuff. And, and then at the end you have a session with him discussing what you wrote and how did, how did it go? And the whole purpose really is to help you establish a flow of writing every day, looking for what works best for you in your schedule, which shifts as life goes on, you know? And, um, 
And one of the things that was interesting is I, one of the prompts that he gave made me start thinking about this story of Mr. Landon's library. Yeah. And it's a library that's enchanted and it's in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Right. And as I started sending him the boot camp materials, um, you know, it was a thousand, a thousand words yeah. each. And then I decided, you know, I have these, these thousand words. I mean, I could, you know, I could keep going with it in a thousand word chunks and do like a little episodic blog at the time. Blogs were really, really popular. And so I started Mr. Landon's blog, right? Posting the the library and stuff. Um, And then life got heavy for me to be doing the blog and keeping up with it. But interestingly, Rosa, Rosa Maria Garza, who is one of our illustrators, she is working on her own comic book um, that she is writing the story of. But she loved that blog. Yeah. And so she's like, Fern, I really miss that blog. And she's like, I'd love to illustrate it. I feel like it's, I can see it in my head. Yeah. And I thought, well, hmm. I'm like, let's, why not? You know, yeah. I have, I have a whole arc of it. I have a, a second arc that is halfway through. I'm like, we could totally do this. It's going to take yeah. some time anyway, so I could catch up on adding more episodes. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where the graphic novel idea began. And since I had the original text as a text and yeah. not as, as a script for a comic book, right? Yeah. Because it's very different when you, when you have the panels, and wow. and the, the the script layout right format for for a comic, this was literally a a text right a thousand word text, and so I did the I did switch it to giving her the panel instructions. But then I was like, you know, I have this, yeah. so I could actually put her beautiful drawings in the front, yeah. and then in the back we could put the original written text, yeah. the the novella, yeah. if you will, piece. And people can get it both. Yeah. So you're looking at the panels, you're looking at the art, you get the story, and then you can delve deeper as the text is able to explore, you know, more what they're feeling and describe more of, um, you know, their reactions to things and stuff. So that's where that was born. It was kind of just, um, it was an accidental project that turned out really fun. Sweet. Okay. Oh, my mind's yeah. going now. <laughs> <laughs> and we have we have uh we have issue two almost ready to to go in in terms of we've got all the drawings and stuff so um that's something that we're looking at okay when are we going to be able to move that forward in production yeah. and and have uh her the Mr. Landon volume two come out and then my goal is like I told Rosa like um I want us to kind of freeze that a little bit and have her finish hers because you know she's working all these other commissions and stuff and I'm like no no let's get your book out because she has such a great idea her storyline is kind of a a mystery uh piece but it it's set in uh Oaxaca Mexico and it explores the the Mexican Aztec mythology piece and so I'm like oh we need to do this because we We've had so much Greek mythology and Norse mythology. It's time to explore other world mythologies, you know? So yeah. I thought, yes, we need to move her forward. Okay. 
Well, I hope so, because I'm I'm interested in reading it. Fern, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. I will let you go. Anything you'd like to add before we sign off? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. Thank you for enjoying my book. I'm glad you liked it. And um, and I look forward to uh, getting to speak to you again in the future and having some more of my authors that maybe you might like to to interview. So I'm, we have so many beautiful, beautiful authors and beautiful voices. So um, that's part of what makes my life awesome. I can I can bring these voices to people and readers everywhere. Okay, Fern. Well, we'll see you later. I guess we'll wrap this up. Hey. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Bye-bye.